Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Today, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, is a great day of celebration. It's a great time of feasting and festivals in the church. And if you've been on the interstate here that runs through Laurel these past, this past week, you know it's also Mardi Gras season, right? Everyone's been traveling to, to uh, New Orleans, all the college kids from around the southeast. Uh, this Sunday is the last Sunday in the Epiphany season. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, begins Lent. Tuesday night we'll have our own sort of Mardi Gras celebration, although a little more holy than New Orleans, we hope. We'll have our Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner and last sort of hurrah until Easter. The Sunday reflects the festivities and the mood of the church. Our first reading, or our gospel reading for the day, uh, not the one in your bulletins, but the one I read is called the Theophany. It's Jesus transfigured on Mount Tabor. Jesus revealed as God's son. Jesus revealed as divine. Jesus affirmed as God's only son. So we see the glory of God radiate through Jesus. And the disciples are shown something beyond faith. Whereas we, as our colleague says, must behold by faith the glory of our Lord The disciples, Peter, James, and John, are shown the glory of the Lord. They see the glory of God. And it's a glorious reading, a glorious event in the gospel. And then you have the story of Elijah and Elisha, which is a story of the transfer of the power of God from one prophet to another. It shows the power of God in the fiery chariot coming down from heaven, assuming Elijah into heaven bodily. It's a confirmation of God's prophetic office in Israel. It's a confirmation of the glory of God on the earth. So the theme of today, this Transfiguration Sunday, is meant to inspire us, is meant to give us courage, is meant to confirm our faith, is meant to be a celebration of the epiphany of God made manifest, of God made known on the earth through Jesus Christ. So it's a glorious day, equal in holiness to many other holy days in the church, but it's a holy day, a glorious day. Now, when I read these and we read this gospel passage in this Old Testament passage every last Sunday in the epiphany season each and every year. So every Sunday before Ash Wednesday, you'll hear the theophany or the transfiguration, Jesus on Mount Tabor. It's a glorious theme. But every year, I often wonder about another theme that carries through there, a more somber theme, a more serious theme. And this year especially, I was reminded of it and I thought I might share it with you. It's what I think of is the cost of the presence and power of God, the cost of this manifestation. Because each of these stories we read this morning has a backstory. First, we have the backstory of Elisha. Now, when Elisha meets Elijah, Elijah goes up to him and immediately Elisha burns his plow, 
his trade. He was a farmer by trade. He burns his plow, starts a fire, and kills the oxen that he was plowing his field with and prepares a huge feast for Elijah. He leaves everything, drops it immediately, leaves, and goes with him. And Elijah raises Elisha as a son. They spend every single waking moment together for a decade, around a decade. They do not separate. Elijah teaches Elisha everything he knows. Elijah and Elisha are like brothers, father and son. They wake together, they work together, they eat together, they pray together, they do battle together. They are inseparable for a whole decade. And they have a great love and a great friendship and a great camaraderie. They have a good thing going, as it were. And today, they bid adieu to one another. After a decade of being together, they say farewell. There's also a deeper story or something that's not transparent in today's gospel of the transfiguration. Now to start off, when Peter and Andrew are called, Jesus calls them from the fishing boats and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they drop their nets, they leave their livelihood, they follow Jesus. And it's exciting. There's an immediate feeling. St. Mark tells us over and over, immediately this, immediately that. There are miracles, there is preaching, there is excitement, there are crowd gatherings. There's a movement afoot. There is power afoot. It's exciting for Peter. Wonderful, awesome. Now when they go up to the Mount of the Transfiguration, Mount Tabor, this is confirmed. Moses and Elijah appear. Jesus becomes dazzling white. His garments become white as the sun. God confirms this in the cloud. As he speaks about my beloved son, listen to him. And Peter wants to stay there. But he can't. Once they come down from Mount Tabor, the gospel dramatically changes. Dramatically changes. St. Luke tells us that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. So what that means is Jesus is intent at this point, no more wandering around, you know, with miracles and preaching and all this. There's an intent to to go to Jerusalem and face death. There's an intent to go to Jerusalem and face his passion and his death. And so the gospel at this point makes a dramatic shift in tone. It becomes somber and serious. The ministry and mission changes too. Peter might have thought this is as good as it gets up here on the Mount of the Transfiguration. Everything is right. It is awesome. But the ministry and mission of Jesus changes to sacrifice and crucifixion. There's a serious tone. So Peter cannot look back to Mount Tabor for a while. And so we get some insight into two biblical heroes in these stories and I often wonder what goes through their minds as these events transpire. Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So we know things were working well. They had a system. They were great. Now they're apart. Now Elisha is alone. Elisha's world has changed. We know that he is full of fear and sadness and regret. He rents, rips his clothes in two. It's a whole new world. 
he knew he was going to be left alone. Peter also says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us not leave. I won't leave you. With Moses and Elijah in the presence of God and Jesus transfigured, life was good. It was perfect. All was right. And then he comes down the mountain, goes with Jesus to his arrest, to his passion, to his crucifixion, to his death. Peter leaves perfection, leaves the awesome excitement and crowd gathering and miracles to come down the mountain and face passion and crucifixion. Their lives change forever when they come into the full glory of God and God's power. So while on the one hand we have great cause for celebration this morning with the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor with Elijah being assumed into heaven with the chariots of fire, there's also a serious tone to this. The lives of these two men at least were forever changed. So we must ask our own self, how do we view our lives? Akin to theirs? Are static. I know in my own life, I like to have everything in order. The church in order, the functions of the church, how the church operates, my own personal life. I like to have everything neatly arranged and perfect. It's easy that way. I don't like change. None of us do. And how do we react to that? Because I promise you, if you take your faith in Jesus Christ seriously, if you grow in faith... That faith will change you. Faith in Christ will change you. As you grow in holiness, you will be changed. You will grow farther apart from the world and closer to God, closer to God's kingdom. As we change, as we give things up, as we approach holiness, it causes us to give up worldly things, causes us to give up order and neatness and things that we crave static things. It changes also who we are and how we view the world, how we view others. We are challenged as we grow in faith, as we meet our own Mount Tabor and our own Elijah. So not only are we changed as we deepen in faith, as we approach holiness, as we become holy, not only does that cause serious changes in our lives when we must give things up and must look at our ordered lives and we must leave our ordered lives. We must do things we never thought we would do. Not only does faith affect us, but our lives are also affected by what the prayer book, night prayer calls the changes and chances of this life. We will all face things that will freeze us in fear, that will stop us Our worlds at one point or another will be rent asunder. Our worlds at one point or another will be turned topsy-turvy. We will be tested and tried. And we'll be faced with the decision. Just as Peter denied Christ and witnessed his crucifixion. Just as Elisha was left on his own. Will we go on trusting in God? Or will we crumple with the fear? Will we run from God or run to God in these moments of our lives? Now, it's important to know how the story ends. Elisha 
goes on to be a great prophet. He goes on to be a great man, a man of great faith, the protector of Israel. Peter, we all know, goes on to be chiefest among the disciples, head of the early church. We remember him fondly to this day. He was one of the fiercest and most loyal disciples of Jesus in the end. One of the most influential leaders in the early church. So these men handle that in such a certain way. How will we handle the challenge of this life? The challenges that our faith presents us. The challenges that the changes and chances of this life present us. Will we be able to let go, to give up, to make leave takings? That is what is asked of us. We are shown this morning clearly that although life has somber changes and leavings, through the grace and power of God, we do not lose that which is most important, our own God. So let us consider this. Let us revel in the glories, hopefully not as they do in New Orleans, but let us revel in the glories of the end of the epiphany and revel in the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us revel in the fiery chariots that assume Elijah into heaven. Let us also contemplate and set our minds to contemplation this season of Lent, how change affects us, how our faith affects us, how going deeper and approaching holiness affects us. Do we grow farther from God when we hit these things, when our world is challenged and becomes dynamic, or do we allow God to use us further? Do we grow farther from God with the changes and chances of life or do we allow God to use us further? It's a very important question and I pray, my brothers and sisters, that we give ourselves to his contemplation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.